Yo, Chad, what if I told you there's a platform that could completely revolutionize your hiring strategy in a matter of hours? Yeah, I'd call bullshit. Well, it's not bullshit with AI for jobs powered by our friends at This Way Global. Okay, I'm listening. Uh, While everyone else is fishing in the same old talent pools, AI for Jobs can source over 160 million diverse candidate profiles. This Way Global has established unique partnerships with over 8,500 trusted diversity partners. So wait a minute. All of the hard on-the-ground work is already done. That's right, Cowboy. You can discover 300 qualified candidates per job rack instantly. Wow. It's like having a candidate sourcing magic wand. (laughs) Dude, if you had a magic wand, you would have Mexican pizzas all day. Mm. Uh, Stop distracting me, Sowash. AI for Jobs Advanced Matching Algorithm analyzes past applicants using trillions of historical matching events and over 1,600 data points. Now that is what AI should be doing, saving recruiters time on sourcing while they provide a white glove candidate experience. Let's wrap this shit up. I'm hungry. Listen up, kids. Revolutionize your hiring process today by jumping over to thiswayglobal.com and checking out AI for Jobs, where you can learn more about how to leverage AI for your recruiting instead of just writing poems and grocery lists. That is thiswayglobal.com. We out. Hide your kids. Lock the doors. You're listening to HR's most dangerous podcast. Chad Sowash and Joel Cheeseman are here to punch the recruiting industry right where it hurts. Complete with breaking news, rash opinion, and loads of snark. Buckle up, boys and girls. It's time for the Chad and Cheese Podcast. Oh, yeah. Get out of cold fosters and put a shrimp on the Barbie, everybody. There's an Aussie in the house. What's up? Get your favorite podcast. This is the Joel and and Cheese podcast. The Chad and and Cheese. Oh, my God. It's 4 o'clock. It's the Chad and Cheese podcast. This is your co-host, Joel Cheeseman, joined, as always, by my co-host, Chad Sowash. And we have a mystery guest from down under, Chad. Did you have a gummy before we started? Dude, seriously, at four <laughs> o'clock, I'm checked out totally. I, I don't I even it. know what the hell I just said. Did I say the, the Joel and Chad podcast? Yeah, yeah. I, 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 okay. This one's off to a great start. Let's not relive that one. Let's not relive it. So before we get into the mystery guest, yep. you and I, we're, we're pretty good at challenging the industry. We name names, mm-hmm. we give our opinions, and, and that's all just to get HR, TA professionals, and vendors to evolve, mm-hmm. adopt, and just plain get off the fucking status quo. Well, in some cases, not enough. Yeah. We we receive uh, challenging and welcome retorts. Ooh. And uh, in this one today, we're going to go to our, our, our mystery guest. Can you do that in Samuel L. Jackson voice? Like, <laughs> shall I retort? Shall uh. I retort? <laughs> but seriously, I've been consistently ranting about tech platforms slapping DEI yeah. on their marketing without truly having a DEI strategy. It's mainly just bullshit, check the box PR stuff. But Barb Hyman, CEO of Predictive Hire, doesn't believe that is quite fair. Welcome back to the show, Barb. How are you doing? I am awesome. I'm so excited to be back and here to retort. All about the retort. Retort away, Barb. Get him. (laughs) Get him. 
you were here on firing squad did really well we good good ambiance happening within within the show uh, I hope we, we can continue that going. Hopefully you don't you don't hurt me too bad. Aussies are pretty feisty, man. This could go anywhere. <laughs> Anything could happen on this. One. What I, what did I say to get you so fired up? Yeah, look, um, so you know, we're all talking about diversity, right? And I think what you challenged was uh-huh. there are just way too many HR tech companies out there that are claiming they can fix it. Yes. The, the, the issue, like that's what we're trying to solve. We're trying to solve how do we finally fix it? You know, diversity is invisible now mm-hmm. because it doesn't truly exist. When it finally exists, we'll all stop talking about it and we can move on to another more interesting topic. Right. You know, and you cannot see what you cannot see. So, so how do we fix it? Unconscious bias training does not work. No. You know, you send Tommy to unconscious bias training, you haven't achieved anything. I also believe that targets don't work. In my experience, and I'm obviously female, I think women hate the idea that they're given the job because of their gender. They hate it, particularly young women. And when you get hired on a perception that it was based on a target, you're often undermined Mm -hmm. by the people in the organization. So it's almost like you created another ceiling for that woman to conquer. So how do we actually fix it? My view is you have to fix it through technology. And I do believe that the right technology, I obviously believe that our technology does that, can actually finally fix the lack of diversity in our organizations, at least up to a certain point. You know, you're always going to have a human who makes that final decision. But if you can use the right technology that removes all of those layers of bias, and it's got to be something that isn't video. I know you guys have a view about video and video is sort of effectively, you know, productizing bias. You can actually fix diversity. So I think. Reality is nothing that we have done has worked. Women are still, what, 21% of the uh, C-suite in the US, women of color represent 4%. All the good intentions and money in the world has not made a difference. Technology can make a difference, but you've got to be really ruthless as a buyer to look closely at that technology. So that, that's kind of one tenet of, of, you know, obviously what I believe around how do you actually finally fix the lack of diversity in our organizations. And there's no one platform that can do that because obviously, you know, let's say, for instance, using your platform, that is not going to dip into a diverse talent pool, is it? Or or when I post a rec, does it automatically go into your system and start programmatically targeting talent pools? Because first, the, the basic issue that we have right now is that nobody's targeting anybody. They're not trying to look to become more diverse by targeting more diverse populations. And if you're not doing that, it's all for shit in the first place, right? Yeah. Look, I completely agree that there's a very tight link between sourcing and selection, right? You know, that if you, unless your sourcing's right, it doesn't matter how good the technology is that is trying to take out that bias through the funnel. But at the same time, you've also got to look at, you know, how are you engaging talent? Like what does that process look like? And, you know, who are you losing out on because you're using video, for instance, at the top of the funnel. You know, my son, he's 22, he's introverted, he's really good looking, by the way, but there's no way he's going to go on video. <laughs> um, you know, he, he will not turn on a screen and film himself. It's completely intimidating to him. So who are you losing out on um, because you're using a assessment or a way of engaging talent that people just don't like and don't trust? So I think, you know, you've got to think about sourcing, but you've also got to think about the journey that you're taking people through and what's going to be really fun. You know, how do you make applying for a job fun? How do you make it something that everyone wants to do, whether you're 15 or, you know, 50, whether you're, you know, male or female, et cetera. So I think all of those things need to be part of trying to solve for better diversity, you know, at the end of the day. 
Barb, I want to go back to what you said. I want to make sure I get this right. You said the solution is technology. And then you said up to a point, correct? Yeah. So at some point, the technology ends and the human begins. And until we stop the human begins part, can we really solve diversity issues and problems? In other words, doesn't technology have to take the ball all the way to the end zone to use an American football reference that you probably don't understand? I don't know what the cricket equivalent would be, but you, you get my point, hopefully. Australia yeah. rules football. Yeah, yeah. That's yeah, deep, yeah, Cheeseman. Yeah, that's yeah. deep. That's different to cricket, by the way. <laughs> um, so, look, the I absolutely agree that when you bring humans in, that's when you start to lose the diversity piece. And, and we see that in our software, our customers see it, that up until the point where the human's making the decision, you know, you're, you're, you're basically marrying your funnel to whatever you started with in terms of the applicant side. Mm -hmm. yep. And look, maybe, maybe organisations will get there at some point, you know, if they really trust the technology, they trust that everyone's given a fair go, that's a bit of an Australianism, and that people are, you know, comfortable with the idea of being given a job without connecting with a human at all. I think, you know, I don't know how far we are away from being like that. I think Amazon's the only company in the world at the moment that goes from, yeah. you know, apply to offer. Where we come in, and this is my point around data, I think that I was challenging you on, Chad, is that, you know, data does create that transparency around that human bias. So the ability to see as a CHRO head of talent, you know, where in the organisation are we losing that diversity because at the last gate, someone is just preferring, you know, the white people or the men every time. And that transparency creates that accountability. And I think that's how you really drive change in behavior, particularly if you make it somewhat public, you know, you can't hide from data. So there is the ability to firstly use tech, and this is where our software operates, where you're stripping out all bias. And, you know, that means no CVs, no videos. And at the last gate, you can see, well, you know, which state, which team, which leader is the one that's kind of letting down the team in terms of not hiring based on, you know, true fit, but hiring based on some other, you know, inherent bias. So we've had this data for decades. Too, too easy. We've already had this decade. Not to mention, if you walk into, let's say, Ned's department, and it's nothing but all white dudes. We don't need data. We can see it, right? We can see that there's a problem, especially comparing it to other departments throughout the, the organization. So we can take anecdotal and we can also take data that we've had to demonstrate that we are not even close to equity, let alone transparency. I agree 100% when we talk about transparency. The first step, I believe, for paid equity is transparency. I also believe that transparency in this discussion is also necessary. But you, as a vendor, how are you going to be able to drive that narrative? Because I'm going to tell you right now, many companies out there that could prospectively be your client, they will not embrace that. In terms of the data transparency? Yeah. Yeah. Um, look, you know, it's a journey, I think, for everyone to trust technology to play a really strong hand in this space, right? And it's hard to believe that the time is not here now because really there has not been much traction. So the thing about transparency is you've got to do it at the right level. So we would never say that you would do it at the recruiter level, right? We don't reveal any data about the candidate in terms of, you know, their demographics when they're making that hiring decision. And that's really important that it's as blind as possible. 
Yes. You know, the reality is that every board is reporting on this stuff. Like, I, I don't know if it's called the same thing in the US, but ESG in Australia, which is the mm-hmm. link now between capital markets, you know, what kind of interest rates you're afforded when you're uh, when you're borrowing money um, and also whether fund managers are going to invest in you is absolutely linked to ESG. And, you know, the S side of that is really important. Um, and so everyone's reporting on it at that level, right? They have to track it. Yeah, but what's different between that and actually setting up goals? Because either way, if you're a white dude, all you're going to see is that there are less people like you coming in and they're going to focus on whether it's ESG or other goals that organizations have put in place. What does it matter? I mean, seriously, what does it matter what we use just as long as we press for hiring outcomes uh, that are that are more equitable, that are more diverse? Well, so, you know, one of these companies in Australia, it's a super fund. They have an initiative called 4040. They have on their website all the metrics around percentage of women at the C-suite, at the board level for all the listed companies here. I'm sure there's something that's similar Mm -hmm. in the US, right? That kind of transparency is what creates, you know, action on the part of boards. um, And it absolutely makes a difference when it comes to super funds investing. I think there are super funds now, you know, what is it called? Impact investing that make decisions purely based on how well you're doing against the environment, how well you're doing on diversity. Hey, Barb, it obviously provokes action, but does it also provoke tokenism? In other words, we've interviewed people that come on and say companies are just quote unquote swapping spit at this point. So uh, I'm an executive and or shareholders of a company and I say, hey, we need uh, someone on the board that's a woman, somebody, whatever, whatever the criteria is. Okay, now recruiter, go get someone from X company to put on our board. Go get someone else to put in our C-suite. And you're just swapping spit as opposed to really making changes to your recruiting process or uh, using your farm team to build your future executives uh, that are of diverse caliber. So my question, I guess, is, is it real change or is it tokenism that you're seeing? Yeah. Look, I think at the board level, um, you know, that is the hardest place to get change, um, whether it's male or female, they still all represent a certain demographic. That's where I'd say that you've got to start right at the bottom, right, which is your hiring and then hopefully also your promotion, which is if you are hiring 10, 20, 500 people a year, there's no excuse for you not to introduce a line in the sand in terms of technology that creates that maximum diversity, right? That's how you're going to change it over time. That's where you've got scale. Mm-hmm. That's where you can really shift the numbers. And we can see that with our customers, you know, who are hiring more than their fair share of the First Nations of ethnic groups of women because you've stripped the human out of it. And, you know, we all know about that notion of diversity debt, right? If you're a startup, and your first 10 engineers are men, you know, you're, you're, you're pretty fucked. You know, diversity debt increases exponentially. You know, when you have a team of four and you add an unrepresented candidate to that group, they represent 20% of your culture, 20% of your DNA going forward. They'll make 20% of your highs. They have an outsized influence on your group. You know, you have to start right from the beginning, right from the bottom. And, you know, fundamentally, I think we're both in agreement that the only way to do that is not through good intent. It's actually through the right technology. Okay, listener, how can you help your employees become more productive? I have answers. How about automating 
manual and repetitive tasks, giving meaning to data, then allowing that data to actually drive decisions. And how about matching people to your jobs quicker? Well, wait, the Chat and Cheese has a new LLM? No, Cheeseman, I'm talking about Text Kernel. Ah, okay, that makes more sense. What I'm hearing is the groundbreaking concept of, wait for it, yeah, simplicity. <laughs> seriously, though, seriously. Text kernel cuts through the complexities like a tortilla chip through some hot nacho cheese. Oh, my God. Really? Nacho references already. Anyways, Text kernel uh. brings efficiency and productivity to your operations. Text kernel seamlessly unifies your tools and data to drive efficiencies and success. Text Kernel is creating new opportunities for your recruitment journey, kind of like adding guac to my barbacoa burrito. Oh my God. How about extracting meaningful insights from data? I mean, that, that's something. Swiftly matching yeah. people with jobs, automating repetitive tasks. Who knew such advanced concepts were even possible in the land of human resources? Uh, we did, Chad. We did. Dude, wrap it up. I'm a little hungry. Imagine that. Uh, okay, listener, get ready to use today's tech to drive efficiencies and productivity. Visit textkernel.com. That's T-E-X-T-K-E-R-N-E-L.com. Mmm, nachos. <laughs> Well, and also data, I agree there, but the thing is, shouldn't this be a standard for all platforms to have and provide this data to their clients in the first place? I mean, if you are a VP of talent acquisition or CHRO and you don't have this data today, I mean, what year are we in? Yeah. Th this all seems to be fairly standard from a data standpoint. That does not equal, again, the DEI easy button, which I am sick and tired of hearing about that. Yeah. Everybody says, you know, your DEI will be better by using this platform. No, it won't. It'll give you tools. I can, I can screw in a better screw into the wall with my, with my impact wrench if I want to, but that's not the right tool. Chad loves uh, screwing screws. Oh, I do. It's, a big, it's yeah. a big fan. Um, but I mean, if it's not the right tool, then what does it matter in the first place? Yeah, yeah. Well, look, now you're talking, let's all advocate for federal legislation to make technology like ours mandatory at the top of the funnel. Um, <laughs> you know, we're on a journey, right? Like this is, this is where innovation can actually help. And I think it's about how do you get TA leaders and HR leaders to be smarter about asking the right questions on the technology they're using. Like it, it frustrates me as I know it frustrates you guys that people are still watching videos and thinking that that's going to fix diversity, right? Like you cannot remove the human bias because guess what? Most of the bias is unconscious. It's it's fascinating how when we run webinars, we ask people, do you think humans can be trained out of their unconscious bias? Do you think there's unconscious bias? Like the answers don't correlate. So it frustrates me that people still see, v see CVs as something that can be de-identified you know, de from a gender and ethnic perspective. Our resume is broken, Barb. Yeah. Do we need to do we need to replace the resume? And if so, what is the replacement? Oh, I'd love to kill the resume. <laughs> okay, then what's the replacement? Well, the replacement is, you know, what are you looking for, right? It's a, you know, in our in our product, we can effectively replace the the resume because we say, look, what really matters is in most of the roles where our tech is used is is who you are, not what you are. 
you know, the resume is a proxy for advantage. That's all it is. It's not a proxy for intelligence or capability. It's just a, a summary of what you've done in your life. But how does that in any way connect with that you're going to be good in this role? Yeah. So, you know, what do you care about when you're choosing someone to partner with someone in your team? You care about who they are, like their values, their their traits, you know, how committed they're going to be. Are, are, are they going to work well with people? Are they curious? Are they good thinkers, like that's what matters, right? You know, agnostic of that you went to Yale or that, you know, you've got a certain certain GPA. So I'd love to kill the CV. You know, that's effectively our mission. It's pretty amazing that we're still using a piece of paper or a quote unquote digital paper to represent ourselves as opposed to more of a dy- dynamic and fluid profile that have our um, experiences, but also our certifications and our, our, you know, our backgrounds and those types of things. Why haven't we moved past the resume? Is it just because we are a lazy bunch of fucks or what? We've always done it that way, Chad. That's why. Yeah. It's yeah. Why aren't we still riding horses then? That's bull. That's a bullshit discussion. <laughs> Look, I agree, but I, I think that's, uh, I'm going to be cheeky here and say that because companies don't know about us, right? Is that, you know, you, you. Oh, come on, Barb. But seriously, <laughs> like, what, what do you really want to do when you're hiring? You want to interview everyone. You want to get to know everyone. You want to hear what makes them, what's made them in their life, right? So, in in the absence of that, what do you do? You look at a piece of paper that's trying to tell you a story about who they are. So, you know, technology innovation, and I'm sure they're, you know, I don't want to just tap for us, but the ability to yeah. to interview the universe. Like, there are two billion workers in the world. Like, there's no excuse not to have diversity in the top of the funnel when your technology can do that for you. So, you know, that I think we're on the journey to, to get rid of the CV. I honestly do. And I think, you know, the other thing about, um, you know, HR and making decisions like this, like ultimately this is a decision of risk when you hire someone, right? Is this person a good bet or a bad bet? Yeah. And, you know, that's where I really believe in that objective data set. Like how do you bring objectivity to that decision? Yeah. And in every other domain, think banking, you know, you're applying for a loan and the bank is not going to bring you in and interview you uh, and and figure out, are you a good bet or a bad bet? They're not going to get all the other tellers to have a chat and figure out whether you're going to be a, you know, the right bet for the, for the bank, right? Like banks would be out of business if they did that. And they're certainly not going to come back to you in three weeks and tell you whether you got the loan or not. So, you know, I think it's an opportunity for recruitment to look at where do other sectors make decisions of risk? How do they do that? What do we learn from that? And it is really about objective intelligence, and that is not a CV. Speaking of, of journey, Barb, uh, the diversity journey is not without its bumps and potholes. And bruises. And, and you know, I, I would say 2020 or so, 2019 was sort of a watershed with the, the George Floyd murder and, and things were going on. And it seemed like there was some real strong momentum um, in really getting things done. And we saw companies committing budgets to making real change and companies making uh, actions that were that were relevant. And then along comes this thing called the pandemic, uh, which kind of throws a monkey wrench in people's attention for a couple of years. Uh, and now we have Russia invading Ukraine. I'm curious from your perspective and talking to companies, is there a risk that this just loses attention and we move on to other things? Or from your perspective, are, are companies still committed, even though we have some of these exterior uh, shiny things that are taking our attention away from the ball. Yeah, look, I, I think that there's, from my conversations, and this is, you know, we work with companies globally, there's even more of a drive to do it, but it's driven by something different. It's driven by the scarcity of talent, 
which is, you know, you can't just go and um, fish at the same ponds or, you know, lakes anymore. Um, you actually have to go broader because otherwise you're not going to find people. So I think there's a, you know, certainly for consumer brands, what we find is there's a continued focus on diversity. And I think that's because they have to marry up to their external claims and marketing with what they're doing, you know, in their in their business. But mm-hmm. the other big motivation is, shit, where are we going to find people? You know, so you have to go broader and you have to do that in a way that's really cost effective. That's where technology is your friend. And in a way, I think that's going to drive faster impact on diversity than you know, the, the, the DE&I team locally trying to change people's mindsets. Okay. So let's, let's talk about finding those people. For the most part, companies have already found them and they have paid for them over and over and over because they're constantly posting jobs and they're not trying to re-engage the individuals that they already have in their database. Do platforms like yours go in and re-engage those individuals? to be able to, to, to get more information, to be able to provide a, a better profile, a better understanding, uh, more nurturing type of a, a scenario versus just allowing that database to sit there and atrophy? Uh, no, that's not what we do. Um, but what we do is we allow you to interview the world. I think there's a huge amount of talent in there, out there that hasn't been noticed, that hasn't been tapped. I think Harvard Business Review quoted something like 10 million people who are great potential for roles that are open right now that have just been missed. So I think that the, the, the opportunity, you know, the, the opportunity set of talent is way bigger than what companies have engaged with. I think they're missing out on a huge amount of talent and the business that works it out. And that's at a global level, right? Particularly the, the pandemic has allowed us to say people can work from anywhere. So suddenly your pool of talent is truly global. So how are you going to reach them? You're going to reach them through the right technology. And it's got to be technology that people trust, that they engage with, that's human above all. Um, so you maximize that diversity and you're not using people to source and do that interviewing. You're using, you know, a smart interviewer to do that. Um, in terms of tapping into your internal talent database, you know, I think that tokenism again is a worry. Like the last thing you want to do is reach out to all those that are from a minority group that you've already connected with and, you know, where are you at and are you interested? I, I think you've got to have that authenticity right from the start and just treat everyone the same and be truly, you know, inclusive. But I think the opportunity right now is how do you interview the world? How do you do that in a cost-effective way? And how do you make sure that as many people as you touch actually want to go through to the end? Because I think, you know, the experience for most candidates right now is pretty shit. 92% eject from the last data that we actually just reported on last week. 92% eject. After hitting apply. Yeah. Yeah. And like, why is that? Right. Like, you know, what is it that is causing candidates to flee? Shitty experience. Yeah. You know, and I think that's part of the challenge as well, which is you've got these big systems that are sort of not really built for, you know, lo-fi, fast, cruisy, consumer friendly experiences. So, you know, that's another challenge for recruitment is how do you work around that? How do you actually get people to to do it without forcing them through a pretty sort of laborious process. Barb, Jim, uh, Jim had a survey, Jim as in GEM, uh, the, the company in our space, uh, did a survey in January where they found that 59% of enterprises track diversity. Now, obviously, that's a pretty small number for enterprises, but they also found that 
only 44% of smaller organizations uh, track their diversity numbers. How do we get more smaller companies engaged with this metric or can we? Yeah, I, I think you make it easy for them. You know, enterprise have resources, they've got big DNI teams, you know, there are different different ways of driving at that tracking. I think that's where, you know, easy software, easy to implement, easy to use, it does it for you, is how you how you get to that market. Um, and, you know, f- fundamentally, that's what we're about, which is how do we make it so easy that it happens in the background? You don't need targets. You don't need to, you know, be going into your ATS and, and, and figuring out all sorts of stuff. Isn't education a more important part of that? I mean, everyone can just buy software, but they have to be convinced to buy it, right? So, how, I mean, are, is there an effort to educate smaller companies as to why this is important? I, mean, I feel like we're just trying to get inter- enterprise level companies on board with why it's important. I don't. Th- I think it's more than just technology. It's a good point. I think enterprise because there's more pressure top down. Yeah. And you know, capital markets led for them to do it. I, I think it's the reality of talent scarcity that's going to get them there. Like I-, I don't know what it's like in the U.S., but in Australia, you've got some businesses that have just shut down because they can't find staff. Mm-hmm. So you know, part of what our software solves for is just. You don't have the time. You've got way less time than anyone in a big company to go and source and interview. So technology will do that for you. And then it happens kind of easily and invisibly. And I think that, you know, if the driver for them improving diversity is because that's the only way they're going to get people to keep their business open, like I'm okay with that. And, you know, then what you get is them hiring people that may be different to the past, but that's all they've got right? You know, you're forced to dip into different pools when you can't get what you need from your from your traditional pools. And I think, you know, simple software, um, and I emphasize the word simple, allows you to do that. Yes. And let's just say if we could actually infuse that into the job posting process and it all just becomes an embedded piece of the product itself, yeah. damn, do we have a great product that's might might be for indeed or one of these big platforms to buy you there barb that's barb hyman ceo of predictive hire barb uh, you and i both want to see the, mo- the the needle move on this uh, i'm a little bit more pessimistic than you are hopefully we get there and hopefully we get there soon if people want to find out more about you and about predictive hire where would you send them uh just find me on linkedin barb hyman too easy I think there's only one, hopefully, <laughs> in Australia. <laughs> Just drink more, drink more Fosters, Chad, and you'll have a much brighter outlook on life. God, I hope so. Another one in the can and some shrimp on the Barbie. We out. We out. Thank you for listening to what's it called? The podcast. The Chad. The cheese. Brilliant. They talk about recruiting. They talk about technology. But most of all, they talk about nothing. Just a lot of shout-outs of people you don't even know. And yet, you're listening. It's incredible. And not one word about cheese. Not one. Cheddar. Blue. Nacho. Pepper Jack. Swiss. So many cheeses. And not one word. So weird. Anywho... Be sure to subscribe today on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. That way, you won't miss an episode. And while you're at it, visit www.chatcheese.com. Just don't expect to find any recipes for grilled cheese. It's so weird. We out! 
The Jim Stroud Podcast explores the discoveries and trends forming the future of our lives. Brain-to-brain communication, robot bosses, microchip implants for workers, and artificial intelligence replacing human workers are all happening now. If you want to know what's happening next, subscribe now to the Jim Stroud Podcast.